Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. And my show is brought to you by my company. We publish books and software tools to help people communicate more effectively in the workplace. And you can learn more about us at growstrongleaders.com. I'm delighted to bring on as my guest today, Dr. Katrina Barus. Welcome, Katrina, to my show. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be on your show, Meredith. Well, I'm really looking forward to our conversation because, you know, you focus on leaders and a specific kind of leader. And so let me introduce you in a more formal way to my audience, and then we'll get into our conversation. Katrina is the CEO and founder of Excellent Executive Coaching, and she's known for fast-tracking leaders to the C-suite and beyond, and for transforming brilliant jerks into inspiring leaders. Katrina is a keynote speaker and author of three books, including her latest one, Managing Brilliant Jerks. How organizations and coaches can transform difficult leaders into powerful visionaries. She's also the host of the Excellent Executive Coaching Podcast, which I highly recommend that you subscribe to. (laughs) Katrina has 18 years of experience as the first master certified coach and founding board member from the International Coaching Federation in Switzerland. So, Katrina, As we get started, I would love for you to just share briefly your journey to the work that you're doing today as a trusted advisor and coach to these challenging, shall we say, leaders. Okay, so uh, I was coaching leadership development uh, for a long time. And so, uh, and I was the first, one of the first coaches. Uh, coaches in Switzerland. So I got a huge amount of publicity. I got uh, the press was uh, interviewing me all the time. And then, you know, there was more and more competition uh, because schools, coaching schools were being, you know, created and it sort of flooded the market with new coaches. And the other thing is, um, you know, uh, what I found is that companies also were training people inside their company to be coaches. I don't know about the confidentiality agreement, but anyway, that's what they were doing, trying to say. So here there was competitions from schools. Then there was competition for internal coaches. And I said, well, where do newbies not want to go? Where's the blue ocean? And I thought, well, what are the most difficult cases? And I thought it's the difficult, brilliant leaders, but very difficult and having sort of a caustic way interpersonal. So that's one reason uh, I decided to go there. The other reason is I did have a stepfather that was not very, I would say in a lot of ways, he was a brilliant jerk, very cultured, very smart. 
And uh, he hurt my feelings terribly when I was a young girl. I will not tell you the story how, but he he definitely did. And so it's it only was with time that I realized that he was trying in his awkward way to help me and protect me. And uh, but all I heard was how he said it and not what he was saying. Mm. So then I said, you know, these uh, brilliant but uh, brilliant jerks, but can be very toxic and hurt a lot of people in the workplace. And if we can help them to change their ways, you're not only helping them in their career, you're helping all the people who work with them. Mm-hmm. So I thought that work was significant. Well, and it is, it's so important. And so let's start with a definition. When you say a brilliant jerk, what, what is it that you mean by that? And also what does that behavior look or sound like? So in fact, I have a great definition, I think. Uh, first of all, it's someone that is um, interpersonally blind, can see 2020 in front of them, but interpersonally, it's their blind spot, and they don't even always realize how hurtful they can be. They're, they're also in leadership position, of course, but what's the difference is that uh, they are very, very smart, sometimes don't even realize how smart they are. So they think anybody that can't follow them is uh, not lazy or not smart and doesn't realize the effort that the other person is putting into the job. So these are all aspects of the brilliant jerk. They're brilliant and they're for useful for the company. So the company doesn't really want to fire them, but they're usually on the point if it continues like that. Uh, So they're in a leadership position. Uh, They're interpersonally blind and hurt a lot of people in the workplace. Uh, So I would say that's one of the definitions. Mm -hmm. And how do you first get brought in? What, you know, I'm, I'm just curious, what has happened that has caused someone to reach out to you and say, help? (laughs) Yes. Okay. But before that, I'm just going to make a a distinction between a brilliant jerk and a demanding leader. Oh, good. Good. Mm -hmm. So the brilliant jerk, when someone, an employee comes with a problem and can't do it, the brilliant jerk is triggered, triggered. And before he thinks it out, or she thinks it out, reacts in a very so let's say a fight mode, if we can link it to the animal world. Well, a demanding leader has, the, he sees he, the same situation. The person employee comes with a problem that he can't do or she can't do. And what happens is that the demanding leader steps back and tries to figure out why that person can't do it. You see the focus is on the other the focus is also that the other person can succeed. So does that leader need to make the, the work short, you know, less, less difficult? Does that leader need to put a mentor in place? Does that leader think that the employee needs more training? But what is necessary to make that employee succeed? That's really the issue. 
Now, it could be a motivation issue. So in that case, the leader takes back, again, analyzes the situation and says, okay, so if it's a motivation issue, then I'll handle it completely differently. Uh, so I'll, I'll have a heart-to-heart discussion or I'll try to figure out what's, what's behind the fact that that person is not doing it. So you see, it shows leadership agility. That person can adapt to the person or to the situation a lot better. Instead of taking it personally, being triggered or feeling like that person is being attacked and reacting in a very hurtful way. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, I would say, a clarification. Now, who brings me in? Usually it's not the brilliant jerk. <laughs> no surprise there because yeah, it's a blind spot for them, right? They don't realize yeah. they're causing this problem. Yeah, it's very rare that they realize uh, that uh, or that they have the modesty to think, you know, um, I need help. And the other thing is, the other issue could be that they think that if a coach comes and makes them softer, uh, you know, or interpersonally more agile, that that person will lose their power, you see? So they might think, oh, why do I need a coach? I don't want to be a fuzzy wuzzy and, uh, you know, Uh, This is a waste of time. Business is straight, direct. I say directly what I need. And so, in fact, they don't really want a coach. So what do I do? Usually it's the boss or the the board members that have called me in for the CEO. And uh, I don't try to convince them to be coached. I come in and ask them, why they think I'm there, uh, what is their reputation in the company, what do they excel at, where do they think they could improve, um, whatever. I just, and I, my primary objective is to get them curious enough so that I can uh, do some research work and bring that research work back to them, how they excel and how they could improve in a very concrete way. Uh, which would lead me, Meredith, to the other point I'd like to make is that I've had these uh, brilliant jerks, as I call them affectionately, uh, you know, have a 360 degree feedback for five straight years that shows that they're, they could be subservient to their boss, but in, to their employees, they're very toxic, they don't communicate well. And so they get this feedback, they don't communicate well. And they still don't know what to do and how to change. So part of the objective of the feedback is to get feedback that's so descriptive, what exactly they do to offend people or to lack communication. And then I bring that back so that it's actionable. It's very actionable. And since they're usually very high achievers and very smart, uh, they don't like to have defaults and they'll get motivated to change their ways. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm curious about that because it seems the first step is awareness to help them realize the problems they're creating for other people. 
That's one thing. And I'm just curious, what kind of resistance do you get when you are bringing this information to them? How do you help them, I guess, not just see it there, but accept the reality of it so they're not denying that it's a problem? And I think you make an important point, Meredith, is that you don't just see their defaults. Uh, They have... You know they've re- they've achieved what they've achieved in the company because they are very good at something. So I think it's as important to discuss uh, what they've been able to achieve, recognize it, how to leverage it, and also to show them how they can change in a tangible way. It's uh, it's done with a lot of uh, care care, you know, because we all have skeletons in the closet. But if you can care for them, even with their skeletons already, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And really help them change their ways or be aware. But I always respect their decision. I bring them the research, but I respect their decision. They want to work on it. Great. They don't want to work on it. That's fine. It's their decision. Because you have to realize that I'm, I'm, interviewing a lot of people in the company and it's very threatening it's a very difficult process too you know and so i respect that and i bring it back and so you can say uh why would they accept it i've had big strong leaders break down when they get the feedback oh but i didn't want to say that i mean they're taking it badly or how can i change Um, So in that case, it's really that they don't realize, they're unaware, and they would like to change, and they sometimes don't feel they can. So that's the job is to really show them how they can. And they're triggered. They're triggered. They're high achievers, and they feel only validated when they achieve a lot. Mm-hmm. So when they don't achieve or they're threatened or they perceive that there's a threat that they won't achieve, uh, they are triggered. I mean, I had one person, you know, um, had the feedback, was very distraught by the feedback. And uh, she was having lunch with her girlfriend and cafeteria and they were chatting and having a good time and then the somebody comes rushing up to them hey there's a big boss from uh, new york that's here so listen you're you're called into this meeting both of you so she goes to the meeting and, and she's laughing with her friend and, and having a good time and saying oh look let's go out saturday she walks into that meeting she sees the big boss didn't realize it wasn't just the big boss. It was number two of the, this multinational. And in that meeting, she proceeded to destroy every argumentation of her colleague, her friend. Uh, why? She absolutely wanted to shine in front of her big boss. You see? And so, you know, she calls me up and says, uh, well, I just couldn't help it. I just couldn't help it. So that's a very, that's just to say that the awareness, and then you have to work on the triggers. 
Mm. And from the triggers is finding validation and recognition in different ways. Well, you know, I want to circle back to something you said earlier, and that story you just told reminded me how someone who is this brilliant jerk can behave one way with their boss and another way with their direct reports or their team members. And so it's almost like people might feel, I got a Jekyll and Hyde here. What's right. going on? Uh-huh. And so how, how do you deal with the, the differences in perception when you're talking to them about their strengths and areas that might be causing problems for others that, that uh, contrast there mm-hmm. in behavior? So one is uh, that you make an important point is that uh, they can be subservient to their boss and very difficult with their employees. So that's something that can happen. And I've seen it happen more than once. So first of all, I highlight it and, and tell them it's very confusing for people that work for you. Uh, so it's, you know, we are a product of sometimes of our education. And uh, although I'm not a psychologist, you know, you could, you could uh, explore their relationships with significant people in their lives and see that, is this a repetition or they want their approval? And uh, it's, uh, it's a delicate situation, but if they're made more aware of their behaviors and how others sees them and how they can get validation in a better way. And I, I do want to tell you, Meredith, that top-notch leaders, they don't only see their operations. They don't only see their results. They're leaders. They have to get results with other people. And if you can show that if their their assumption is that if they're tough on the people that reports to them, they'll get better results. Well, it's to check out, you know, how uh, their, their perception of leadership is it, you know, I got to tell them and they got to do how much more they can do by having input from everybody, uh, uh, having people that are motivated, and that they have to win together. And they can get bigger results because if they stay in the position that they know everything, the other one, their employees don't. I'm simplifying mm-hmm. to say that they can't go up because uh, a CEO doesn't only see his department; he sees the whole company mm-hmm. and how the whole company can succeed. So that person needs to have that perspective that they're going to win together, that their colleagues in another department, if they see them succeed, uh, uh, that they might be perceived as a potential CEO because they see the company as a whole. I have interviewed a lot of CEOs and a lot of chairmen, and you see the shift, the incredible shift in perspective from the operation of the company to bigger macroeconomic situations like water situation or food that's gonna not be enough Uh. in certain areas. And so that 
that's a shift between a CEO and a chairman. Now that shift needs to take place at another level between what I can do and my results and the results of my department and how I can be perceived better mm-hmm. by succeeding in a department and that they can't do alone. Mm-hmm. Do you encourage them somewhere along the way to sit down and have conversations with their team members, either individually or as a group, to apologize or address what it is they're trying to work on so those people can rally around and try to support the person as they're working to become less caustic, less toxic, and create a more healthy environment. Yes, it's very much encouraged already with their boss, if they have a boss, uh, and with their team. So it's very difficult for the leader to do that. I can imagine. That's why I was wondering how how does that reestablishment or establishment of trust happen for them to be going through this transformation. It doesn't, it doesn't happen in a vacuum just with that individual. It has to be, you know, established and happening with, with all the people involved too. Yes. And it already starts because when their interviews takes place, it's already an admission that he's, that person is working on themselves. Mm. Uh-huh. Because look, if, if a, a very toxic leader comes up and says, well, Meredith, so how was your weekend? How was your children? How was your, how's your family? You know, it'd be awkward. And the, Meredith, if, he, if you knew that I was very abrasive, you'd say, oh my God, what does she want now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but if they know you're working, if you knew that I was working on my leadership, you'd say, ah, she's making an effort. Uh-huh. See, they embrace already at that point, you know, the, the change, the effort. Then the other issue, very important, is when I interview them, I don't say their strengths and weaknesses. What's important is to say, what are their strengths and how can you make the relationship more productive? You see, by uh, just changing that question, uh-huh. responsibilities on both of them. Uh-huh. It's not just the leader. So uh, there's the where. So uh, to to make the two points, there's awareness within the system that the person is working on their leadership, and two, it's making them re- more aware that it's a relationship. It also brings back information to the leader that people want to be managed differently. And the information can be almost sometimes contradictory, but it gives them already an awareness of the leadership agility they need to have to adapt to the person Uh, and to uh their situation and their emotional level, I would say their, their emotional connection, instead of having one way of reacting to all situations. I'm simplifying it, but that. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah, that's an important point because not everyone wants to be treated or interacted with in the same way. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that that's like another level of awareness and sophistication in decision-making on how to interact with the different 
folks. And I'm just curious, how, what does it look like for you when you are working with a leader like this, who's who's operating at a low emotional intelligence level, I guess, is one way to think of it initially. How mm -hmm. do you help them with those growth steps uh, to get to the point where they feel more comfortable doing the things that are going to help them be more productive, more effective in that relationship? <coughs> Excuse me. It takes a time because uh, they're, they're triggered. So the you know, they have to realize that awareness, what's being triggered and uh, what what is the underlying issue. And they have to practice new behaviors, see the results of those new behaviors. And uh, I'll say that anyone that I coach, I really care for. And so I think that's also important to know that they have somebody they can talk to that that I have their back and um, I want their progress and I keep them accountable. Sometimes it's really tough love, but uh, I'm there for them and I want them to succeed. I'm sure they sense that too. Just knowing you, you have that air, that energy that communicates that commitment to them. And so that I can imagine that that rapport you establish with them where they feel you are a trusted advisor to them or a, you know, a trusted coach helps them have a safe place to go as they're working to make improvements. I would love for you to share an example or two of a, of a leader whose transformation you've been a part of. You know, what was the before, what kind of work did they have to do? And then what was the impact later in terms of their behavior change? So one per, you know, a lot of them are, their bosses are thinking of firing them, you know, because they've done a lot of emotional damage in the company. So, so what I was really happy about is that one person that was on that point uh, after work, and it takes time, it takes longer than probably leadership development program. But then that person was elected to be the leader candidate of that year. So that's really a recognition from the people around that leader that the transformation. Mm. Yeah. And this, this can happen to, I mean, there's, there, there's a lot of leaders that uh, could be improved on their interpersonal anyway, but this is the more difficult cases. And then also uh, on a cultural basis to a lesser degree, but it's understanding the culture. And maybe I could give you that example so that you see that it's, a, it's an understanding this leadership agility is really important. I'll give you an example. So there's one person of a big company that we all know the name. This person was Orient, it was, uh, excuse me, Chinese, uh, had worked many, many years in Switzerland, many, many years. But the leadership perception was that, you know, you gotta be tough, you gotta interlude, you have to interrupt, you have to, position yourself, you know, 
be masculine, you know, sort of. And uh, this person, every time that happened where people interrupted and were almost rude to his perception, he would step back and not interfere. It was rude in his perspective. So when I did this research, I found out to simplify that he wasn't perceived as a leader because he didn't behave according to the cultural mm. norms of a good leader. And when he understood that uh, and really worked on it, uh, he was promoted to be head of a whole part of China, you know, and come back, come back to the Western way of leadership for the top-notch leaders, but then go to China and adapt his leadership to that environment. So you see, it's again, leadership agility, but this time what could be perceived as abrasive in one culture might not be in another. Mm -hmm. That's a really important point, I think. Different cultures have different, I mean, cultures across countries, also cultures within an organization. Mm -hmm. um, how we do things around here can vary a lot. And I think when a leader deviates extremely one way or another within that expected behavior, that's when I think problems can arise. Yes. And to give you another example was uh, an agricultural company. We all know the name. Uh, I'll just not say it for discretion. So, uh, this leader that I was coaching was a South American, Americans and South American, but was very sophisticated interpersonally, very suave interpersonally. And then when he went to come to the top leaders of this agricultural company, he was perceived as suspicious. You know, why is he taking so long to come to the point. These were, you know, like Westerners, uh, cowboys, shoot by the hip. And he was a good leader, but just much more sophisticated in some ways. And uh, they weren't comfortable with him because he was the outsider. Uh -huh. He was different. So again, they if they can understand it, not they don't always need to change, but they, if they can understand that the others find him suspicious because he doesn't, he's not in your face when he wants to say something, on the contrary, he's super sophisticated, um, then, you know, it's awareness, it's being able to change their leadership a little bit so the other person is more comfortable. Uh -huh. Um, yeah, that whole thing of agility, I think, is so important. I'm curious, uh, thinking about where the top leader is, is not a healthy, <laughs> is not creating a healthy environment, the CEO. If mm -hmm. you're brought into another level to work with a different leader, do you find that challenging to, to try to help transform a certain part of the company when the top is, is also an issue or do you run into that? Uh, I usually always talk to the top leader if I'm coaching somebody so I can get a, 
a good perspective. I could uh, then tell the uh, the top leader uh, what ideas, like a consultant, as what needs to put into place in the organization so that this kind of behavior is not encouraged. Mm. And uh, I have a sheet here, you know, it's like excusing bad behavior that shouldn't be tolerated. Mm-hmm. And it, to have the courage to say to that person, if uh, that kind of pers- behavior, how it's perceived, uh, that takes a lot of courage. Uh, to, what are the leadership principles and is the behavior aligned to those leadership behaviors? Because if they have leadership principles, whoever it is can say, look, our leadership principles is to behave this way. And your behavior is contradictory in what we say we stand for. It makes it a lot easier for any leader to look at, uh, to explain that that behavior is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. So when the, however, when the CEO is, the toxic leader, then you have to work with the, the board. I have been called in by the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a lot harder when you, like you said very well, you have to work with a system, you know, because if you don't work with the organization, the people in the organization or the boss, it's like taking a recovering alcoholic and bringing him to his drinking buddies in a bar, you know, he's, he's not going to change because a coach can do only so much work. You Uh do put the person back in the system. Uh That's one of the things I look at before I even start working. What is in place? What is condoned? What is encouraged? And do they have leadership, leadership principles? Do Do they have leadership evaluations where the employees can can uh, evaluate the leader. Even a 360 is a good mm-hmm. in that case. It's a good yeah. uh, So, and also, do they only look at the results when they go into a team? Or do they also s- explain a little bit the chart, the behavior that will be acceptable? Mm-hmm. So I've been brought into companies to look at what behaviors in teams is conducive to better results. Like there was one team that the boss said, I'm pulling my hair out because in the beginning of the year, here I have super talented people, but at the beginning of the year, I have an objective that involves them working together. And at the end of the year, nothing is done. Individually, they do very well, but as a team, not. Well, these brilliant people were so good at any person that had an idea how to destroy it, they were very quick-witted and smart, mm-hmm. cocky. Uh, so when when they were, they're sort of like playful, but nothing got done. So when they were made aware of how they their behavior within a team, and of course, it takes a lot of, you have to observe and look at it, uh, then then you can say, okay, this is what I've observed. It could be done also with uh, psychometric inventories uh, and, and observation. And then you get them a feedback and then say, uh, okay, 
now I'm observing, now we're going to have an objective to do, but every time you criticize the idea without offering a series of suggestions, you're going to put, they made a lot of money, $50 in a bucket, and, and then uh, we'll all go out for a drink. See, it's playful, because they were playful. Mm-hmm. But, so now I deter their quick-witted, playful, but destructive way into trying to have each other control how they give their feedback. Mm. And that mm-hmm. was helpful. Yeah, that's such an important point. The idea that whether you're working with an individual or whether it's the team, being aware of the dynamics that are going on that either enhance productivity or get in the way right. of it. Mm-hmm. And, and what to do there. Well, as we wrap up, I would love to ask Katrina, what are some of the things that, that you do to ensure new leaders succeed? Because that's, I know that's another area of expertise that you have. And I, and I would love to ha- have you just share, because we do have a number of leaders listening to this. What do you do that perhaps they could hear that they could become more aware of to help them be better at developing leaders too? Well, the example I gave was this uh, Chinese leader that was working in a Western environment and then was not perceived as the next potential uh, promotion. Somebody passed over him for the promotion. Uh, Basically, when I did find out how that person was perceived in the positive and areas that might be derailers for his company or her company uh, and what was deterring them from really being selected as the next promotion. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, research that I do that I bring back to them and how to manage perceptions and how to be clear even before they start, what they can look at to make them more aware of the company, what they want from the company, uh, what learning goals do they have? What's the next step after this company they want to achieve and where do they want to go? It makes them much more aware of how they can use this opportunity to grow, uh, to uh, be a better leader, to be a stepping stone to something even better. So, these are things that has a process of its awareness and then and uh, really doing. So what research I start with, I make them have that skill so that they can do it. Mm. Do their re- own research mm-hmm. out the system. They're very bright. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you have a, an advantage there in starting with these clients that you work with. The fact that they are quick to understand, catch on to what you're saying. Um, The challenge I'm sure is just the ingrained habits they have that even though they become aware, they have that desire with your coaching support, they can make the changes over time that will help them be, you know, even more effective. Yes. Behavior changes. And then they can see the results for themselves that they get better results. Mm-hmm. And anyone that uh, of your listeners, I would like to give them some 
free complimentary. Oh, wonderful. We always love that. So do tell us. (laughs) So on my website, Excellent Executive Coaching, there's 18 tips to stop abrasive behavior. There's an exercise uh, for anyone that wants to develop their emotional emotional intelligence. It's, It's an exercise they can even use before they want to give feedback to their employees so that they make sure that they understand them as a whole person before they give feedback. And at the same time, it helps them be more observant of the different people they're going to interact with. Mm. And the other is the leadership quotes that uh, you can download that is just inspirational. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And how about your book? Where can people get a copy of Managing Brilliant Jerks? Yes, that's it. That's uh, a layman's book because I used to write academic uh, chapters and books, but this one is uh, easy to read and uh, gives a lot of good tips, a lot of good tips. So it's called Managing Brilliant Jerks, How a Leader Can Become a Powerful Visionary. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And that's on Amazon? Yes, on Amazon. That people can get that. That's great. Managing Brilliant Jerks and my name, Dr. Katrina Burris. Yes, thank you, Katrina. I've thank I've so, so enjoyed our conversation. You you bring such important insights and wisdom to your clients. So thank you for the contributions you make to help create more effective leaders and healthier, you know, happier work environments where people can really thrive and and perform at their best. So right. thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for being thank with you, me today. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.